Good night. Good evening, everyone. It is um, November the twenty-third, and we welcome you to continuation of the Book of Daniel, chapter six. But before we begin, let us go to the throne of grace in prayer. O good and gracious Father, once more we beg you to be with us. Enlighten us with your spirit, O God, and lead us to see the golden nuggets that have been written for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. O Lord, I pray that this session would not be just reading through the text, but learning and growing and eating the text so that it might feed us spiritually to live with you eternally. Be with us now for the sake of Jesus. Amen. If you are following the handout, we are on page three, and the questions we have is, what what did they have to admit about Daniel? But before we do that, since we were gone for a couple of, um, since two weeks ago I was gone, it is very helpful for us just briefly kind of um, utilize that. Uh, Daniel 6, if you want to follow along with me, we'll go from there. It seemed good to, Dar- to Darius Cyrus to set over the kingdom 120 satraps who would be throughout the kingdom. Over them would be three overseers. Daniel was one of them who would be the ones to whom these satraps would give a report and the king would not suffer any loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the other overseers and satraps because an outstanding spirit was in him. So the king intended to promote him over the entire kingdom. Then the overseers and satraps kept seeking to find an accusation concerning Daniel with regard to the kingdom. However, they were unable to find an accusation or corruption because he was trustworthy and no neglect of duty or corruption could be found concerning him. Then these men said, we will not find concerning this Daniel any accusation unless we find something against him in the law of his God. And I just want you to see, um, we talked about that when we came back with the refresher, the similarity between Jesus and Daniel, as well as the specific intent to harm. They were doing something that is unwholesome and ungodly. In verse 6, Then these overseers, satraps, came as a crowd to the king and said to him, Darius, your majesty, may you live forever. All the overseers of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, advised the king to establish a statue and to ratify a decree that whoever prays a prayer to any god or person for 30 days Except to you, your majesty, he will be thrown into the pit of lions. Now, your majesty, please establish a decree and sign the document that cannot be changed in accord with the law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house. It had Uh, open windows on its upper story facing Jerusalem. Three times each day he would kneel on his knees 
and pray and offer praise before his God, just as he had been doing before this. These men came as a crowd and found Daniel praying and seeking favor from his God. Then they came and said to the king concerning the decree, Your Majesty, did you not sign a decree that any man who prays to any god or man for 30 days except to you, your majesty, would be thrown in the pit of the lion? The king answered, Certainly, the matter is like the law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they answered the king, Daniel, who is from the exiles of Judah, does not pay attention to you, your majesty, not to the decree that you signed. Instead, three times a day he is praying his prayer. Then the king, when he heard this matter, was very upset about him, and he set his mind to save Daniel. So until sunset he worked hard to rescue him. Then these men came as a crowd to the king and kept saying to the king, "Um, Understand, your majesty, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that every decree or statue that the king establishes cannot be changed. I won't read any more. Suffice for this. But I want you to see again the similarities. We talked about this before. Um, Even the king was trying to release him, right? Pilate was trying to release Jesus because he could not find anything wrong with him. And so the intent of uh, doing these things is evident in their activities, and uh, they were doing these things willfully to bring harm, because they came up with the idea. They came up and, of course, went to the king, and they built his ego, right? Mm You are the Almighty, you are the divinity, you are the God of this country. Everybody must bow and pray for you and no one else. And therefore, um, they bring this into the forefront by saying, let's test this up. This is a trap, okay? Similar to what happened with Pilate. So with that background a little bit, let's dig into it with the question that we had what did they have to admit about Daniel? Can we back up to number six? I don't have the answers for that. Six and seven. Uh, let me look at... What does that say about why Christian people today are often given positions of trust? Is that the question? That one, I had outstanding spirit and work for God, not man. Light and salt, and they trust Trustworthy is the key word why Christians are hired, because you can depend on them um, faithfully, punching in the clock, doing the things, because most Christians who are salt and light honor God first before the company they are working for. Okay, That's just the way it is. How did that set with the rest of the officials according to verse 4? So, let's take a look at verse 4 and see what is the trap. In, then the overseers and satrap kept seeking to find an accusation concerning Daniel with regard to the kingdom. However, they were unable to find an accusation corruption because he what? He was trustworthy. And no neglect of duty or corruption could be found concerning him. For his personhood, 
there was nothing that was able to put the black mark, if you want to use that term, that this is his Achilles heel. Not in his character, not in his trustworthiness. The next verse gives us the answer. Uh, Then these men said, we will not find concerning this Daniel any accusation, and notice the next words, unless what? It's in connection with the law of his God. Okay, so because they knew the law of God permeated in his heart, they knew that is his weak point. And of course, Daniel could have avoided this by doing what? Praying like uh, not out loud or showing all the actions, but just doing it inside of his heart. He didn't have to have the window open. Mm-hmm. He had the window open, so they could have looked oh. in. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he didn't. But was that part of the rule of the Jewish? Because they were always supposed to face the temple. They were supposed to face the temple, and, and they, they did that. Okay. No one said you have to have a door that's open. You can right. pray anywhere. But Daniel was not afraid of what they might do to him. And the reason for that, he put his hope and trust in God. Remember, Daniel was already writing about the great deliverance that took place in chapter 3, right? Mm -hmm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So if Daniel is looking at previous activities of God. He is the great deliverer and the rescuer. What do I have to fear? So when you think of that, you put it all in the package, then you, you respond to the question that is at hand that is, um, you know, the question, how did that set with the rest of the officials according to verse 4? They could not find anything as to his character. Okay? So I will say this to either of you ladies. I, I don't know you, Darlene, very well, but I know Michelle, I know Sarah, I know Patsy. So if somebody were to accuse you of some misconduct, either of you ladies, right? I would vouch safe to say it's impossible. I know those ladies. That is not true. Okay? I would say that's the old Michelle. <laughs> well, the same with me. You've heard me. You've heard me say that before. You know, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I acted like a child. I behaved like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. You know, I was a kid. I didn't know. I didn't know the scripture. I didn't know the word of God. I didn't know the blessings of God. When you read this, you see Daniel's faithfulness to God and his trust that even if they are doing something to harm him, he's not changing anything because his God is bigger than any king. And that's very helpful for us to remember right now. I just shared with, um, I was at the council's president in St. Louis and I was talking to some of my colleagues and I said, you know, In Psalm 149, I don't remember the whole conversation, but I do remember saying this to them. Uh, I don't know if it was about the discussion with the president or the governor or whatever it was going on, but I just said this. This is why we do not put our trust in princes or in men, because they're going to disappoint you. 
There's no one that's perfect. Every one of us has a weak point. And so when you think of uh, what does that say about um, them as the officials, they were looking for something that they can grab um, him and take him down with it. You know, uh, they had animosity for him. They were stirred up with hatred. I mean, to uh, blatantly set up the um, trap because they want what? They want to crucify him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe not physically, but if you think uh, going to the lion's den, that is something else. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, So if you look at um, question six, what did they have to admit about Daniel? So number seven, what was it that stirred up their animosity? It was just his perfection, Daniel's he, perfection. That in relation to his God. As far as his character, um, there was nothing, um, you know, that they could catch him on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when you think of that, uh, so they are admitting about Daniel that his character is noble and is wonderful. And um, so they cannot trap him that way. So they had to go, I often use that in my teaching, uh, outside the box. Um, so when it says, who is really behind all of this and why? Wouldn't it be Satan? Really Satan is the number one culprit, but it's the satraps. But yes, uh, S- Satan is the first person who tried to take us down. If you look at um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be on guard, be alert, for the um, uh, devil is like a roaring ro- lion seeking uh, to find somebody to devour. Okay? So when you think of that, literally, he is doing that. What are you f- laughing at? Because we, I was like, I know this verse because we just I know. discussed I was it. Thinking <laughs> it too. I was like, I know this from somewhere. They were. Um, we just talked about it in oh. my oh. Sunday school voice. Oh, yeah. First, I think it's. Uh, I know it's First Peter, but I think it's verse eight. Uh, whereas uh, Peter says, and of course he's writing to the exiled in. Um, yeah. I believe it's verse 8. Yeah, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So, you know, and so you have to understand, you are correct um, in that aspect, Michelle, that it is the devil, first and foremost, but he uses people. Mm -hmm also to seduce them into doing these things. I mean, you can always accuse the devil for all of these things, but men have common sense as well, 
Like Luther said, you know, I can't stop the birds from flying over my, ha- my head, but I can stop them from building a nest in my hair, okay? And so when you think of the devil is always trying to tempt, there's always temptation. I don't care if you are a man or a woman, there's always temptation. Greed, lust, fleshly, all of those things are means by which uh, we get trapped. And so you always have to be on guard. How do we protect ourselves against the devil? There's only one tool. That's the Bible. You need to be so thoroughly grounded in the scripture because there's not enough strength in any man to fight against the devil. And I shared this this past Sunday in my Bible study. I said, what did Jesus use against the temptation of the devil? It is written. It is written. So he knew the scripture. Of course, he's the author of it. But he knew what the scripture teaches. And therefore, he quoted the scripture. Even though the devil could quote the scripture also. But not like Jesus. He can always twist it. And so when we think of these terminologies, Daniel um, not only prayed, but he conversed with God. Because a prayer is a heart-to-heart talk with God. Now, uh, and I also shared this this past Sunday, the lion today has been declawed. He has no claws. He has no teeth. All he has is gums. Can he hurt us? Sure. But he cannot kill me. He can't maul me. He can squeeze me, but he cannot kill me. He can't chew me up. So, you know... Uh, again, Luther says the lion has been declawed and defanged, and he can hurt us, but he cannot harm us. You know, this is very important for us. And so, um, what they had to admit about him is that, in relation to his character, nothing. But in relation to his God, absolutely. Uh, Let me, and that's uh, the next question, Uh, the law of his God. Uh, Why is that uh, something for us, um, you know, to consider that? Are we on number nine? Yes, because we already talked about what did they have to admit about Daniel, yes. What was the only way they believed they could register a complaint against Daniel? Against what he did for God. Or what he... Using his own faith against him. Say that again. Using his own faith against him. Yeah, they wanted to trap him, realizing that he was not going to be moved by any ordinances or any decree. So they knew if they were going to catch him in the act, it was going to be in relation to his relationship with God. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. And um, a couple of um, nuggets here for you. Daniel's faith is not a secret. He did not practice Christianity or his faith 
in secret. It was common knowledge for everybody. That's why they knew about him. He was not ashamed of the gospel, okay? So that's number one. Number two, they knew that uh, Daniel listens to the word of God. Because the word of God is preeminence over any other word. He knew that, okay? Um, and so it's, it is very helpful for us to understand that. Uh, in the plot that they, they develop, what line of logic are they using in urging the king to make this decree? Okay. Uh, I would, uh, I would suspect that would be more uh, to eleven to what they, are they trying to appeal in Darius. Okay. So, what line of logic are they using in urging the king to make this decree? It isn't as difficult as you're going to make it. Just because they know Daniel's weakness, so they're trying to find something that would appeal to the king and not directly point to Daniel. Correct. They were trying to deceive the king, mm -hmm. simply. They were trying to lie to the king. Hey, I think this would be good. And the next question, of course, deals with they're trying to appeal to his ego, and of course, pride says, well, of course, I'm the most important man. And therefore, he just brings this into here. And of course, uh, the ultimate purpose of this is to destroy the life of Daniel. I mean, they declared that from the beginning, they were going to destroy his life because they said the rules of the laws and the, the, the Medes and the Persians cannot be altered, and they gave the sentence to the king, right? What was the sentence? They're going to throw him to what? Cast into the den of lions. To throw him to the dens of lions, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so um, their intent is wickedness, destruction of life, termination of life, because they were very envious and they hated Daniel. They literally hated Daniel. And uh, so the plot thickens in this way. And of course, um, that is something very profound that they would use the one thing that they knew he would not alter or change his thoughts or his behavior. They knew that. Mm -hmm. And again, he was not bashful or ashamed of the life that he lived for the sake of the kingdom.
and he put his trust in God. And so, um, um, and in, in what they were trying to do, uh, also to deny, to deny Daniel the opportunity to worship his God. Yeah. As I said, you know, when we were going through the pandemic, I've said, if they say we cannot do this, I said, you're going to put me in jail because I'm not going to give in to this stuff. We're going to continue worshiping our amazing and awesome God. Well, thankfully, we were never tested into that position, at least in South Dakota. Our governor was good enough to say you can do it. But we have some churches that can't even open up yet on the East They're Coast. Still not? Yeah. I would not survive. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, it's a sad commentary, but you know, uh, it's a difficult, difficult situation. Can you tell them we need pastors in South Dakota. They can just move. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Easy fix. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we we could use pastors. Um, and it is important that we have pastors. It really is. I'm not making light of that. Because pastors shepherd the flock of God and they teach them the truth and they grow in wisdom and in the knowledge. And you instill in them something so beautiful, so profound. There's nothing like it. For the Christian to be armed with the word of God, like Luther said, any layman armed with the word of God is stronger than any pope or council or you name it. If you know the word of God. My wife and I were talking this evening about movies and she was talking about Hallmark movies for Christmas. They have nothing to do with Christmas. None of the Hallmark movies have to do anything with Christmas. They're nice, they're family oriented, but they're void of Christmas. And I made the comment, I said, if you talk about Cecil DeMille de and others like him who did who, who the Ten Commandments or Ben-Hur or The Robe or Peter or Paul, those people were students of Scripture. We don't have Hollywood anymore with writers that can write a story that is biblically sound because their theology doesn't make sense. And so it's, it's a fuzzy, fluffy, cozy stuff, but has no basis of the wholeness of what Christianity is all about. And that's, that's really hurtful because a lot of people watch this, oh, that's what Christmas is about, just to be with family. I don't know how many times I've heard Christmas is about being with family. No, sir. No, ma'am. I'm sorry to disappoint you. It has nothing to do about family. Okay? Right. Sorry. Huh? <laughs> I still love you, Michelle. All right. Um, as a point of interest um, for you, uh, when we talk about the law of the Medes and the Persian altered not, why do these men in their request mention that the law should be made according to the law of the Medes and the Persian? Why? I want, didn't want to find any way out of it. Very good. Because once their laws were made, there was no change in that really. Yeah. 
And they, what, what they were afraid of is the fact that if they did not put that in, the king could alter his decision because mm-hmm. they knew there was a relationship between the king and Daniel. And they thought, if we don't put that quote unquote, the, the law of the Medes and the Persians, and if um, he is caught then the king could change because he's the king. So they had him in a box, okay? It's kind of, again, going back to Pilate. He says, I don't find anything wrong. And then how did they bring it? He says, well, he claims to be a king. And even though Jesus, um, and he did say, I am a king. He was honest. He gave the true confession of faith. And the confession is the fact that He was not nervous. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate had nothing to do, but they kept urging him, you can't let him go because he's supposed to be the king. And of course, only on that premise that he had done it. He did not want anything to do with it. So, um, And so the king kind of played into their hands because he was not thinking on his own. He let somebody else think for him, and that's when he got in trouble, when he did not allow that to happen. And it is, it is difficult when you do not take God's word for what it really is and say, well, I can do what I want to. The word of God is your foundation. That's what's going to hold you when the storms of life come. If you don't have that, any storm that comes is going to knock you off your feet. Yeah. So I die today. It's not the end of the world. It's the beginning for me. Because that's what the scripture teaches. I have no fear of death. Will it be hard on my wife? Absolutely. She'll go on living. And she look forward to the time of heaven. That's, you know, we are passing through our, uh, we are just pilgrimage in this barren land, okay? Um, so let's take a look a little bit uh, at 12. It was said in the ancient world, the law of the Medes and Persians altered not. And so why they do this And what is it that they fear might happen, and which we talked about right now, they don't want the king to alter his mind. And you even see that he worked really hard to try to figure out a way to alter it. You know, kind of like Queen Esther when they finally... Xerxes, where he could not go to sleep and he wanted to get... Yep. Yeah. And... The one thing that I want you to grasp in all of this, God is standing on the side watching everything. And he's intervening at the right moment. This is why we are not deist in our theology. You know what I mean by a deist? If you don't, okay. A deist is the God who made something and never looks at it again. So somebody that made this phone, somebody made this computer, whoever made it may never see it again. That's the deist. God created the world and let it be, and now it's running by itself. 
No. God is involved every moment of our lives. There's not a moment we are not under his watchful eye. And if you look at Colossians 1, for example, um, I think verses 13 through 15, where it talks about God holds the whole world in his hand. Okay? And he set all of these things together before the foundation of the world. And it is very helpful for us. Um, what had Darius not taken into consideration? So think of that. What had Darius not taken into consideration? And whom had he not consulted that he should have? Daniel. Aha! Very good. He should have really talked to Daniel first, right? Because he was his counselor. He was his advisor. Right. You know, uh, like today, I'm out on the roof putting the uh, Christmas lights out. Because beautiful out. And I got a phone call from a colleague. Brother Nabil, I have an issue. I need counsel. Could you call me when you have an opportunity? I called them. So he said, I have this issue. What should I do? I said, thank you for calling, seeking counsel, okay? And um, I just said, first, pray about it. Two, go talk to the person and always put the best construction on your discussion with him. And he says, thank you, I needed that. One phone call. He could have brought Daniel in and said, Daniel, is this a good thing or a bad thing? What do you think Daniel would have said? I'm not going to alter my lifestyle because of the decree. But then we wouldn't have this great story. No. (laughs) Well, this is why we do know and we we claim, uh, according to Scripture, that God uses everything for our good. Sarah, you have something on your mind. No, I'm just... I do, but... Don't be bashful. I'm just weaving it in. I'm just sitting here listening and thinking about Sunday school class. And, yeah, I'm just storing things away for later. Good. And, you know, in the Old Testament, they always um, talked about, like, drawing lots and how God would direct them through when they drew the lots the way they were supposed to go. And then when they didn't do it, it was always problems for the Israelites. And yep. they're like, why didn't you consult God first? <laughs> they did that also in the New Testament, by the way. Okay. They did draw, they did draw a lot for his garments, for Jesus. Okay, yeah. They did do that. But secondly, in Acts chapter, uh, I want to say seven, where they chose others to serve among with them when rather than serving tables so they did draw a lot so it does happen but then in the book of hebrews chapter one it says um in former times god spoke to his people through dreams visions or um let's see dreams visions but now he speaks to us through his son so since the son has come we no longer need those because jesus has made it very clear okay um but when I'm, I'm sure if they would have consulted Daniel, he would have done something to... He would have well, just said... He would have just known. He would have said, you know, you can do this, but I'm not going to alter my lifestyle, okay? You know, okay, so I, I, I serve on the presidium of our church, okay? Um, 
It's not unusual for Dr. Harrison, President Harrison, to write to the Presidium, I have a letter I need to write. Proofread it, give me your input. Should I send it or should I not send it? Does he need my opinion? No. But because there is a respect of camaraderie between the brothers, pastors, he asked, and we give the counsel. I'll give you this. This is uh, uh, true. We were discussing something. And let's see, one, two, three. Uh, four were for it, and two were not. He, had, he was going to do something, and four of us said, please do. And two of them questioned it, and he said, we're not unanimous, I'm not. I have so much respect for him, because he says, unless we speak with one voice, we're not going to do this. Which is, mm-hmm. he could have been, he wasn't doing anything wrong, but because we were not in union together. And this is where the council is so valuable. You see council, you are married and you're married, and uh, um, you talk to your wife or your husband, say, what do you think about this? Whether it's disciplining child or buying a car or investing money, whatever it is, you talk it through. You don't just make a decision on your own, you just talk it through. Why? Feedback is important, right? Counseling, guiding is helpful because all of us come at things from a different perspective. And it just behooves us to take the time to pause, to seek counsel, and what better counsel to seek than in the Word of God. What does God say? I mean, granted, there's not every situation in here, but every circumstances is here. There's nothing new under the sun. And so it's very helpful for us to take to that. Okay. This is really important. And I talked about it when I was reading the scripture. Um, Question 15. Daniel went to his room and prayed as usual when the document was signed. Why did he do this when he knew his life was at stake? What difference would have made if he changed the place of prayer? Okay. And finally... What would he have been doing if you look at verse 10? Why did he do this when he knew his life was at stake? Because yeah. he knew his God was bigger than anything of this world anyway. Okay. Right on the money, let me just add, if you pay close attention to the reading of the text, when did he go into his room? Right away after he found out it was signed. It was signed. Not before. He says, you signed it, and I'm gonna still going to do what I have been doing. I'm not altering any of my lifestyle because I'm not going to live for you. I'm going to live for my God. 
That's a very important aspect to remember and to highlight that at the moment they signed it, you went straight, okay? And we, we talked about that too, that, you know, um, what difference would have, have made if he changed the place of the prayer? So I'm sure he had been doing this all the time. Sure. It would have almost been like a slap against God, you know, to say if he didn't do things the same way that he always did them before. Correct. I never thought of that, but my thoughts were, um, I'm not going to let them dictate how I pray. That's number one. And number two, why should I change because of you? Mm-hmm. What does that tell you about this man, though? You will. We will know him and get to visit with him. I think what you can uh, easily surmise about Daniel is that this man was so anchored in his love for God that no matter what hurricane or mountain or tsunami came on his life, he was not changing. And it is really important, important, important. I cannot stress that. And I, I pray for my saints here. I want them to be so spiritually grounded that they can stand on their own. I don't want them to say, well, I need to ask my pastor how to respond to this. Because you're not going to have me with you all the time. Okay? You have to know the scripture. Corrie ten Boom, she's sainted now. You know, she stood on the word of God. If you know anything about Corrie ten Boom, um, she uh, is the author of The Hiding Place and the movie, of course. You should read that, <laughs> Yeah, she was Dutch. But what she did have, a great love for God and his word. She was anchored in the word of God. And it's very helpful, you know, for us to see how all of this fits together in the economy of God and how he uses every situation. Uh, in Romans 12, 1, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed um, of the mind by, this, by the Spirit of God. You know, we are in this world, but we don't have to let the world dictate what we can and what we cannot do. That's not our goal. Our goal is to be great confessors of the faith. It's not, I am better than you, we confess the faith. I'm a Christian because my Savior died and rose for me. That's what I have, and that's what I'll give to you. And uh, That was Romans 12.1. Romans, yeah. I appeal to you, my brothers, by the mercies. See, or is it Romans 8? Hold on. Uh, I think Romans 12 is, I appeal to you, my brothers, by the mercy of God, to give yourself as a living sacrifice. Let me look. He has so many memorized. Huh? You have so many verses memorized. 
when I was doing Bible study with Joshua, I said, oh, I know that one, and I said it. Oh, I know that one, and I said it. And he's like, how do you know all these verses? And I was like, well, these are the easy ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fun to see a lot. <laughs> it's fun to sit in church, and like that's one thing I enjoy with my boys, especially because they get where they know more of them. Uh-huh. And I'll never forget, it was, it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, verse 2, 12, 2. Yeah, yeah, 12, 2. 12, 1 is, I appeal to you to give your bodies a living sacrifice. And verse 2 is, do not be conformed to this world, but be uh, transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay. Did you hear the pastor's sermon today? He was talking about the armor of God. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the fun thing. It's just to see things spark in the kids. All right, let's go to question 16. Why is Daniel not breaking the fourth commandment? Because you only need to listen to authorities when they are not going against the will of God or against God's laws. Very good. Where is that found in the scripture? You told me it, so I don't know where. Some verse you have memorized, I'm sure. Acts 5.29. We ought to listen to God and not to man. The only time we do not obey the government or those in authority, okay? So it's not just the government. Pastors, parents, teachers, those in authority. That's whom God put above us, okay? Police officers, if they tell us to go contrary to the word of God, okay? We have all fall prey to this. Somebody calls and they want to talk and the boy is answering the phone. May I speak to your mom? Mom says, tell him I'm not here. Okay? She's lying. Here she is. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm trying to say, okay? That's your, what you're asking your son is to lie, and so he's going against God's word. You could just say, rather than saying this, this is not a good time for me to respond to this phone call. That would have been a lot better than to say, well, I'm not available and I'm not here because now that child has to lie to protect mom's lie. Okay? And so it is really important for us to realize when we walk humbly before God, we put him first in all the things that we do and say. My uncle one time had my nephew, who was 13 years old at the time, driving a pickup behind his tractor, and he ended up totaling it. Ouch. And the insurance guy came out, and he's like, well, we can just say that he was 13 and the kid was, or 14, and the kid was standing right there. And he's like, no, we are not going to do that. I am a truthful Christian, and no, it, he was 13. That's yep. the way it is. I don't care if my insurance goes up, whatever. <laughs> to see, here is the one thing. We can't be, uh, one of the saints got mad at me because I said, you can't be just a Sunday morning Christian. Mm-hmm. Pretense, right? You can't pretend to be only on Sunday. Put your best clothes on, act the best, and the rest of the week you do what you want to do. And people get offended. Wow, who do you think you are? I'm not anybody special. I'm a sinner just like you. And I need God's grace. But what is at stake 
is if we live two different lifestyles, what are we doing? Hypocrisy, right? So, anyway, we'll stop right here with just, my gosh, I can't believe how quickly the time goes. Why is it when we're having so much fun? You have questions or comments? We'll stop right here. Comments, questions, thoughts? I just want to sing that song. Which one? On like 96.5. About faith like Daniel. Lion's dead. There's also an older version, and I was listening to it the other night when we were coming last Wednesday, because that, that came on. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, there's that one by FFH. Um, it's like older. And it was, I want to be like Daniel. Like, I want to be, I just remember, oh, like, the sign yeah. language to it. Anyway. Cool. Random. Because <laughs> I thought about, I'm like, ooh, I could have a voice sing that one. <laughs> I know. Well, I need help. <laughs> let's, let's close with a word of prayer. I'm really excited. I, um, I was hoping we'd go further, but next week we'll, we'll get into it. Let us pray. Oh, precious Savior. Our hearts are filled with gratitude for all that you continue to bless us with, especially the gift of your word, the word incarnate, the word becoming flesh, and the word that we partake of on every Sunday as we partake of the table of the Lord. Bless us as we go our separate ways and grant us wisdom to continue to live for you and honor you and serve you. To that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.